Thank you for joining us. This broadcast has been made possible by the Lord and by the generous donations of brethren like you. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you, and shalom. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Line of Line Ministries, and welcome to our Sabbath teaching of the Torah portion. We are in a program where we're teaching how the Torah is for all people, and uh, we are in the portions of Exodus, and in fact, we are at Exodus chapter 18. In the Hebrew, the Torah portion is called Yithro or Jethro. And we're in the part of the story where uh, the children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea. They've come into the area we know to be where Mount Sinai is at. Uh, we believe that to be part of Arabia, as Galatians 4 says. And so the children of Israel are there with Moses, and they come back to the mountain of Moses. This is the same mountain, if you'll recall, where Moses had his burning bush experience where God had said, you will bring the people out, bring them back to this mountain. And so Moses has brought them to Mount Sinai, the same mountain where God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And in the course of arriving there, he is connected again with his father-in-law. Uh, that's the name of the portion, Yithro. Jethro is his father-in-law. And he had been married to Zephora. Now, if you recall... When Moses went back to Egypt, Zipporah made part of the journey, but then she returned back to her father. And this is the evidence that we have in the Bible that uh, essentially Moses and Zipporah got divorced. Uh, she left uh, under the covering of Moses. She went back to her father's house. And this is where we have the evidence that Moses was divorced. Uh, it doesn't say divorced, uh, but that's the conclusion that we easily withdraw. And particularly when um, uh, Yeshua was talking about the subject of divorce, he said it was Moses gave you a get uh, because of hardness of the heart. And Zipporah had a very hard heart toward Moses, just can't get along with him, and uh, was very angry with him. For what transpired, but God had things for Moses to do, and Zipporah didn't want to be a part of it, so she left, and there was a, essentially a divorce. He's going to connect now, see Zipporah again. He's going to see his father-in-law again, have a conversation with him, and he'll proceed on with the children of Israel. Zipporah will not be joining him, will continue to stay with her father for it. Uh, so here we are, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Now Jethro... The priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, 
heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, the people, how God had brought them, um, had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah after he had sent her away, and her two sons, whom one was named Gershom, and he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the other named Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he'd camped at the, at the Mount of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife, with your two sons, with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had befallen them on their journey and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods indeed. It was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before uh, God. Um, there's a very interesting commentary here because it reflects how the people of the world were dealing with the idea of God in those days. Um, the, everybody had heard, I think to a certain extent, about this God of Israel, of course, except Pharaoh, and he didn't pay attention. But other people, other descendants of Abraham, and by the way, Jethro is a descendant of Abraham. They'd heard about the God of Abraham, but then there was a lot of confusion about all these other different gods. In fact, some of the names of the places that we mentioned off begin with the word Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal is another name for God, Lord, or God. And there's this mix of gods. Different people are running around saying, well, there's this God of this. And of course, the Egyptians had a God for all kinds of different things. And other nations had different gods. And the idea was that Israel was supposed to be separate from all of those. And so the God of Israel is introducing himself not only to the Egyptians and for the children of Israel to know who he is, but he's also letting all the other inhabitants of the land, all that surround the neighbors and so forth, to know who the Lord is. And, and Jethro, who's a priest and considered to be a spiritual man, is suddenly realizing the profundity of what God has done bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, it is now clear, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is the one true God. All these other gods are phonies. They have no power whatsoever like unto the God of Israel. And so he is coming to terms with that, and he's now going to be echoing that uh, for the rest of his life. This is the father-in-law to Moses. So they come together, and they um, uh, are there together, when all of a sudden the next day, the issues, the business of the day, 
requires a lot of different judgments and decisions to be made. There's all these people, and they're you know trying to deal with each other, get along with each other, but there are disputes along the way. By the way, if you get a bunch of human beings together, and I don't care if you are Christians or what, you get a bunch of human beings together, somebody's going to have a problem with somebody eventually. Now the question is, how do you resolve it? And in fact, I believe the true measure of a leader is not how dynamic are you in accomplishing certain things. My true measure is how do you deal with conflict? Conflict amongst others. Um, this is kind of a sad, interesting commentary. I'll, I'll share this very briefly in the context of this. I really like what our, our president has done with regard to President Trump and the things he's done for the country. Don't like his personality, but I like what he has done for the country. But one of the things he also has a struggle with is resolving conflicts with people who are opposed to him. He doesn't seem to have that skill to win over somebody who disagrees with him. A great leader has that skill. Somehow he's able to bring people together and come to some understanding, you know, where you can disagree with each other, but you disagree in a, an agreeable way. And um, I think that's the measure of a real leader. Moses is trying to do this. Moses is hearing the complaints of the people and so forth. But Jethro, who's a very wise man, and I believe a good leader, observes this activity going on. And uh, let me read for you, verse 13. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? What, what, actually, the nature of the question is, you think you're accomplishing something? Is this your idea of how do you accomplish things for the people? He goes on to say, why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? You do understand that by delaying the judgment for different people, you frustrate them. You need to set up a system to where that they can get the action from the government that they need so they can get on about their business. If you're understanding what I'm talking about, let me just bring you up to a modern example here. If Jethro was here today and had to see what you have to go through to get a driver's license and to go down and stand in line at the DMV, he would be raising the exact same questions. What is this thing the government is doing to the people? Is this your idea of how you render the proper services to the people? And the government is known for its incredible bureaucracy. The more you have centralized control, the more bureaucracy there is that people have to get through. You need to have a plurality of leadership. Moses needed to delegate to other leaders, other judges, to minister to the needs of the people, to help the people with it. And in fact, that's what Jethro is going to recommend. He's going to say, 
Moses, what you need to do is you need to set up a series of other judges, wise men who are able to discern, give judgment. Set them up so they're more accessible to the people. People can go to one of those judges. If, if, if the issue is too tough, well, then elevate it. If, if you can't resolve it there, then elevate it up to the next level. But in the meantime, let's try to take care of the vast majority of judgments and decisions that need to be made. Let's have it handled by these other judges that you appoint. And the whole judicial system that nations have today and that we have in our own country with different courts and different judges is based on that example, trying to give relief to the people so they can render good judgments on behalf of the citizens, on behalf of the people. And we see this dynamic taking place here in a beautiful example of what we call the principle of delegation. This is an example of what we call the Midrash or the Drash level of the Torah. Here's this incredible principle about delegation. This principle is applicable to all different stations of life, all different kinds of peoples. It's a principle of truth that's in the Torah that applies to everybody. I can tell you right now, Torah is for all people. If you believe in the principle of delegation and distribution of leadership, then you're following the principles of the Torah. Why wouldn't you then study the other principles of the Torah, which also deals with other kinds of issues and so forth for it? It's injected here at this moment while he's with uh, Jethro. Uh, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people. Boy, is that true. If you have to wait in a long line with Social Security Administration or the DMV, it will wear you out. I would just as soon go chop firewood for the all afternoon than wait in the SSA office for crying out loud. I mean, it's exhausting. You know, another principle from the Torah. In fact, my experience in being in the Social Security Administration office, I thought about this. Where is Jethro when you need him? You know, uh, there that day. So, so he goes on further to say, verse 19, Now listen to me. I shall give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative for God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws. Make them known to, the, to them the way in which that they walk, and, uh, and they will work that they do. Furthermore, you shall select out all of the people, able men, who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. You shall place these over them as leaders of the thousands of hundreds and the fifties and the tens. And let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you and they will hear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people will also be able to in their place in peace. Um, I saw an interesting thing um, off the internet the other day and I wanted to share it at this point um, and because it ties back into what's going on here. I'm so old now that I remember when illegal activities were against the law. 
Now let that resonate with you a little bit. Because one of the things that we don't have today is we don't seem to have an operating justice legal system. We keep hearing about people being arrested and being immediately released and not having to suffer any punishment. We keep hearing of people who've been convicted of things and being released early and not having to serve their punishment. We hear of all kinds of politicians who do all manner of unlawful things and no prosecutor pursues them. No court brings them in to render whether they're guilty or not and the punishment that would go with it. Uh, personally for me, one of the ones that's stinging to me is many years ago, um, was the, the lady's name was Hillary Clinton. And she had a whole bunch of classified information when she was Secretary of State and she did not follow the proper procedures to secure that information. She put it on her own private computer network and then discarded it and got rid of it and did a whole manner of things with classified material. I used to work in aerospace, government contracting. We used to develop things and a lot of work that we did was of a classified nature. I was the industrial security officer. I was responsible for all classified material that went in the safe and came out when people would work on it and to give an account and make sure it was safeguarded. You weren't even permitted to leave a classified document alone on your desk for you to go in and use the men's room. Even though everybody in the facility had a security agreement, you weren't permitted to even leave it on your desk unattended. It had to be in your possession. I was a classified courier and there were occasions when I was traveling for business travel that I was given classified documents that I was to maintain control over. And when I went to the hotel at night, I couldn't bring that stuff in the hotel with me. It wasn't secure. I had to go find a facility, a building, a contractor, another office that had a safe. And I would have to log that material into that safe for the night, then go stay in my hotel, get up the next day, go get the classified material out of the safe where it had been in that, in that safe container, and then I could transport and continue on. If we broke those rules, first off, you get fired. Secondly, if you broke the rules in such a way as they thought there was gross negligence on your part, you could have federal charges filed against you and you would be paying incredible fines and serving jail time. They took this business very seriously about how you handled classified material. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton violated all kinds of laws concerning the safeguarding of classified material. She suffered no consequence whatsoever. Even the FBI looked at, decided to just look past it. That's an example, in my estimation, of we have a corrupt legal system. It's not equal justice under the law.
in this country anymore. There are some people who just can't be found guilty of doing anything. And when it comes to the subject of lying to the American people, wouldn't you think that if you lied to the American people, you'd be subject to some kind of prosecution, you'd be subject to some kind of penalty? No, not in this country. Politicians lie to us all the time and get away with it. And it's like they're in shock that we would barely be upset about that. For a nation to be successful and to prosper, they must have laws. Or else there is no freedom, there is no justice. Some of the first principles that um, Yithro is giving to Moses is you need to set up a legal system where that the matters of the people can be handled appropriately and correctly. And what he's getting ready to receive are the commandments of God, the laws of God. Why would God give us this laws? So that we'll live, so that we'll prosper, so we'll be well. Not because he wants to lord it over us, but because we need these things to be able to live. And that's what our portion is going to be more about, is the giving of God's Ten Commandments. Now we go down a little bit further, uh, chapter 19. It's now in the third month, the sons of Israel have gone out of the land of Egypt, and on the very same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. The mountain is the one that Moses went up onto for the burning bush. There's a cave up there. It's burned up on the top, and it's not that hard a trek, but it is a trek. It definitely is a mountain. Sinai means points, so it's a pointed mountain. Now, I believe that that mountain that we're talking about here still exists on the earth, and I believe it's a mountain in Arabia called today Jabal Allahs. It's a well-known mountain in Arabia. Uh, archaeologically, Saudi Arabia doesn't want to promote this too much, but at the base of that mountain is all kinds of evidence there was a great number of people who used to camp there. Uh, there's etchings and rocks. There's large elements that look like pillars that were set up, as the scripture calls for. There is... Um, there's all of the uh, physical evidence. There's even a big, gigantic rock that has been split and has tremendous erosion, water erosion, associated with the rock. All the other rocks in the rest of the wilderness don't have water erosion, but this rock does. That much water had gone through there that it had eroded the rock. All of the elements, the physical elements of the land that we're expecting from this story being at the base of Mount Sinai, we have present at this location in Saudi Arabia. No other location can satisfy all the requirements as this one does. So in any case, we have today a sense of where we think Mount Sinai is at. It's not at that little uh, mosque that's way up high up the mountain that's in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula down toward the southern tip. It's not that. Um, and uh, but although that's been sold for tourists as being it. Uh, I believe it's over in Arabia, um, there in that location. So they're now camped at the front of that, 
And verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders and the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I shall come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear what I speak to you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people uh, to the Lord. And the Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people, and you will set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the ram's horn a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain." So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Uh, what exactly happened here? So God makes a proposal to Moses to give to the children of Israel. I propose to be your God. And if you'll hear me and obey me and enter into covenant with me, I will make you my treasured possession. I will make you a kingdom of priests and a very holy nation. What an offer that is. I mean, think about that for a moment. That is a great offer from Almighty God. Well, the people hear this offer and they said, that is a great offer. Yes, we should do that. So they said, yes, we will do whatsoever the Lord says to do. And so what you have is a proposal for a marriage and an acceptance from the bride. Yes, I will marry you. Now, mind you, this is all happening before they have any, no idea what the commandments are going to be. They have no idea what's going to happen afterwards. There's this moment of time where they agree to make this covenant. They agree to do this thing together. And it's exactly what transpires when a husband, a future husband, proposes to his wife. Will you be my wife? I will be your husband. You know, I love you. Will you join with me? And the wife, you know, has to make this simple request. Yes, I will. By the way, it's not an acceptance of a proposal. She says, well, I will if you do such and such and such and such, and if you don't do such and such. They don't do that. Both the offer of the proposal and the acceptance of the proposal is without conditions. 
And that's a covenant. And a covenant with God is just like a marriage covenant. I don't care whether you, you stay healthy or uh, you get sick. I don't care if we are rich or we are poor. I don't care if there's lots of good days in our future or not so good days in our future. I don't care if everything works out great or if everything doesn't work out so great. I will still be your husband. You will still be my wife. And the nature of entering into an agreement without conditions is what separates a covenant from a promise and a contract. A contract and a promise has conditions. I will do this if you will do this in return. It's conditional. All of my life, I have heard my Christian teachers tell me that the agreement that God made with Moses was a conditional agreement. If I heard that once, I probably have heard that a hundred times, you know, from various teachers. The covenant that God made with Israel was conditional. And the reason they say that is because the very next sentence they say, but Israel didn't keep the conditions of the covenant, and that's the reason why God broke the covenant with them. And that's the reason why we have a new covenant, to replace the covenant that Israel broke. That's, that's the teaching. That's the argument that it goes forth. The first statement that God makes a conditional covenant with Israel is a bold-faced lie from the pit of hell. I wish they would go back and do just a modicum of Bible study as to what is a Hebrew covenant. When you cut a deal in the Hebrew covenant, what does that mean? That's not a business contract. That is completely different. It's without conditions. It is permanently made. And no covenant that God has made before has ever been broken by God. Now, I've seen men break covenants with God, but God remembers the covenant for us. This was established when he set up the covenant with Abraham. Abraham didn't walk between those flayed pieces of the sacrifice. God made it very clear to Abraham, I'm going to keep my end of the, of the covenant here, and if I don't, may I be flayed open like these sacrifices. No, oh, by the way, you're not walking through Abraham through it. I'm walking through it for you. I will keep the covenant for you. Whether you forget me, leave me, I don't care. I will still keep the covenant for you. I will remember the covenant I made with you. Regardless of whether you or your descendants keep it, I will still keep it. So one of the great attributes we make to, about God is that we say God remembers covenants. That's one of the attributes we talk about our God. Our God keepeth covenants. He remembers the covenant He made with our fathers, and it extends down to us. And by the way, the covenant God made with Moses is an extension of the covenant made with Abraham. It's not something separate. It's just added features that go with the covenant God made with Abraham. And all of the covenants up to this present time, we have six covenants, they all fit together. 
the covenant God made with Adam is still with us today. The covenant he made with Noah is still with us today. The covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, still with us today. The covenant he made with Moses, the children of Israel, still with us today. The covenant he made with King David, still with us today. The covenant he made with Yeshua, with us for the new covenant, still with us today. And when we get into the kingdom and we receive the final covenant, which is called the covenant of peace, all those other previous covenants will still be there with us. And the reason is, is because God is the one who keeps his covenants. So this business of that, uh, well, uh, we didn't do it, and so therefore it's not in effect anymore. I can assure you it is. And by the way, for my Christian friends, those of you who might be listening to this thing, I know you didn't make this agreement. I know God didn't come down to you and say, hey, if you'll obey my voice and keep all my commandments and so forth, well, I'll be your God and blah, blah, blah. You know about Yeshua coming and offering you personal salvation. If you believe in him and trust him then, and accept him as the payment, the Lamb of God sacrificed for you, you'll have forgiveness of sin and then you'll have the new covenant. I, I, know, I know that's where you're coming from. But I have some interesting news for you. Your ancestors signed you up for the other covenants. You are descendants of that people. And the covenants were made with them and their descendants. That's you. With Abraham and his descendants. You're one of Abraham's descendants. You're part of the house of Israel. It might be through the commonwealth of Israel, not necessarily native-born, but the covenant God makes with Israel was not only with the native-born, it was with the alien and sojourner who may also believe in the God of Israel. And furthermore, he went a step further and he said, you are being adopted into the family by the Father, and therefore you receive the inheritance of the firstborn just like the native-born. We call it in the New Testament, we call it the doctrine of election. And truly, you are the chosen people. We are all the chosen people. The Father chose us. And uh, it begins here. It begins with this agreement. Without us even knowing what the commandments are, we've agreed to this. We're in this marriage together. Um, now, we all hope when we first get married, things are going to work out great. Agreed? Yeah. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You weather through it. You get through it. And part of the life that you have with your spouse is getting through all those things. Well, we have this incredible story of God's people and all the things that have happened with them. And here we are today, God's people, descendants from the ancients, and these agreements that were made still apply to us. With that, we now go uh, to chapter 20. And chapter 20, Moses is now going to uh, get the people ready to hear God. And he's partway there uh, along with Joshua. And the people are all down at the ground and they're waiting. And by the way, they got, took a bath. It was the first mikvah bath. It was the first time they ever got baptized. 
they got themselves ready. When the average believer takes a mikvah bath, you know what you're really doing? You're preparing yourself to hear the commandments of the Lord so you can keep them. You're echoing that, yes, I agree to the proposal, and I'm getting ready to hear the commandments of the Lord. Yeah. So let us look at chapter 20 uh, for this. And by the way, um, the way this is to be done is that when you start reading what the Lord has said, you're not to interrupt it and not stop until God has finished saying all He wants to say. So I'm going to read, beginning at verse 2 of chapter 20, I'm going to read all the way down through verse 17 without interruption so you can hear. What did God say from the, from the uh, mountain to the children of Israel, to us? Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, uh, and, uh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the seed that's all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You will not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoked. And when they saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Um, there is a lot, as you can imagine, there's a tremendous amount of commentary that's written about the Ten Commandments. And in fact, as a Torah teacher, um, this is probably one of the pinnacle Torah portions in terms of teaching what are the commandments of the Lord. These are the commandments that God actually spoke with His own mouth. Now, I need to give just a little bit of informa more information about that. Um, it says that Moses and the others down the block were full of fear and trembling when this, because when God spoke, it was a very loud voice. Uh, there wasn't anybody that was hard of hearing that didn't hear it. And everybody heard what the Lord said. In fact, there are some Torah teachers who say that the whole world heard these commandments, that these commandments went all the way around the world, and the whole world heard them. Um, and I can assure you that these commandments exist in the universe. They were spoken and they emanated from the earth and they've gone out into the universe. These commandments are for the heavens and for the earth. 
Everybody gets these commandments. Nobody's exempt from these commandments. It's for the whole world and all the people in it. So let's talk about first a review of the commandments. The first five commandments were on one tablet, and they appear to be commandments dealing with our relationship with God. These are things that you will do with regard to me. The last five commandments have to do with our relationship with our neighbor or with another person. And so that's the second tablet. That's the reason why we have two tablets. One is commandments for God. The other is commandments with people. Um, The first commandment is what is most confusing to a lot of Christians and a lot of people when they hear this. If you go to the average Christian and you say, have we just read the commandments? And you say, what is the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? They're probably going to jump on verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You go down to the Christian bookstore, get a plaque of the Ten Commandments, that's probably what you're going to see on the plaque. That's the standard teaching of the people who don't study Torah. Did you hear what I said? The people who don't understand the Torah, that's what they give as answer. The first commandment is to believe in Him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'm not Molech. I'm not Baal. I'm the God who saved you and delivered you. Believe in me. You deal with me. And I'm saying to you, have no other gods before me, the God of Israel. Period. We got to have that first verse to believe in him for any of this to make any sense. The people who go around and say, for example, and I'm going to give you a quick example. Uh, you don't have to, you know, Sunday, Sabbath, worship. You know, I can, I can pick any day I want and worship the Lord. You ever heard that argument? Oh, I can worship God any day, you know. No, you can't. No, you can't. If you do, you're worshiping some other God. Maybe a God of your own imagination. Maybe you're an idolater. Maybe you got a little religion under yourself. Maybe God didn't speak from Mount Sinai. He makes, speaks for you speak from your heart, and those are the commandments of the Lord. Is that what you're suggesting? Boy, that would be a mistake. It was God who spoke from the mountain. The God who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is the God who spoke this, and He is speaking about His commandments, not your commandments, not the church's commandments, not anybody else's commandments, His commandments. We need to follow His commandments, not your version of His commandments. Nobody cares what your version is. You don't get to pick and choose. You said you would keep them, without conditions. You didn't say that you would change your mind or that because Jesus was resurrected, I'm going to do it differently. That wasn't in the deal. It was a covenant without conditions. It's not a contract where you can modify the contract. God doesn't modify His covenants. He might modify an agreement, a contract, but not a covenant. He keeps those. So you go down through the rest of these commandments and you get down to um, 
the fourth commandment about the Sabbath, I want you to notice what it says here. Remember the Sabbath day. Do you know what that means? The Sabbath day commandment already existed. He didn't say keep the Sabbath day. He said remember the Sabbath day. They already know about the Sabbath day. Where did we learn about the Sabbath day? Oh, back at creation. Abraham knew about Sabbath. He knew it was a symbol of that God was the creator. If you rested on the day, you recognized God as the creator. That was well before the Torah. And all the Torah does is come through and echo the same commandment that was well known by the ancestors prior to that. So the idea that, uh, well, we don't have to keep the Sabbath uh, nowadays. We can change it to Sunday and so forth. Um, do you think Abraham said that? Which, which uh, Sabbath do you think Abraham kept? The one of the Lord. And it, his testimony is he kept all the commandments of the Lord. So if you're going to change that, you're not keeping all the commandments of the Lord. You're keeping some of your own commandments. This was the moment that was a transforming moment for me as a good Baptist. And I decided to take the full step to becoming a Messianic believer. I was in the Baptist church, I was a Baptist minister, and I was teaching a Sunday school class. Guess what the Sunday school class lesson on was on? The Ten Commandments. Right there from, that was the printed material, I'm following the Sunday school quarterly book, and we're teaching the Ten Commandments. And what I did was I went with the class and I read off exactly what I've read here. And I said, do you think, I said, first of all, I said, do you think that we should obey the Lord? And I had every person go through the room and they said yes. Then I took each commandment one at a time, read it, and I said, should we keep that commandment? You said we should keep the commandments. Should we keep that commandment? Just before I got to the fourth one about the Sabbath, there was a fellow that was in the class. He got agitated. And his, some of his dialogue with me, he said, I know what you're doing. I said, and it was kind of tense when he said it. He said, you know what I'm doing. I said, I'm teaching the Sunday school quarterly here at the church. This is the lesson. I said, no, no, I know what you're doing. I said, well, what do you think I'm doing? He said, well, I want you to know that I have a BS from Bible college, and I know what you're doing. And I... I couldn't pass up the opportunity. I just said, well, I think theology is too important to BS about. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, women started crying, and he got up, and he left the room. And A week later, I was kicked out of the church. A week later, I was kicked out of the church because I was teaching exactly what is in the Sunday school quarterly for the church about the Ten Commandments. I want you to know the Ten Commandments mean something to me because they're important. They make the difference between whether or not you're walking with the God of Israel or you're playing at religion. And I don't recommend that you play at religion. I don't recommend that you BS about theology. That You need to take it seriously. 
All right, so we come down now to the rest of these commandments, and there's a couple of things that I need to teach you about these commandments. The first commandment is this statement that's not in the imperative mood, it's in the uh, indicative mood. I am the Lord your God uh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The commandment is believe in me. That's the compelling part with it. Um, the commandments about idolatry, they all fit together. They try to split them apart. Idolatry is one subject. You'll have no other gods before me. You will not make any gods, is essentially what he's saying. Just like he gives additional explanation about the Sabbath. So, if a person is going to sin against God, it's his intention to sin against the Lord, what commandment is he going to break first? He can break a whole variety of commandments, but which one will he break first before he sins against God? The answer is the first commandment. He will cease to believe in the Lord, and then he will proceed to do something contrary to the Lord because he doesn't believe in the Lord. He does what he wants to do instead of believing in the Lord. At the same time, what sin do you always commit first before you sin against a man? Before you murder him or commit adultery or steal or lie, what sin do you commit first? The answer is the tenth one. You covet something. You see, sin originates from inside, from the heart. You either fail to believe the Lord or you covet something that belongs to another person. You go commit adultery because you covet his wife. You steal from him because you covet his tools or his donkey or whatever the case may be. You lie because you want something that you shouldn't have. Um, each one of them can go down in greater, much greater detail as to understanding. Believe me, this is an area that many biblical teachers have spent a lot of time on. And it would be well and wise for you to also spend a lot of time on and to understand these commandments. These are the commandments that apply to all of us. They apply to every one of us. We can go to any person, no matter what station of life they're in, and we can say, you should not lie. You should not commit murder. You should not steal. You should not dishonor the Sabbath. You should honor your father and your mother. They apply to all of us, and this is what the Lord has commanded. But the one thing I would say to you is, these weren't given by a man, and by the way, you have no authority to enforce these commandments. This is God's business. God is the one true judge. He's the one that will determine if the commandment was kept or violated. He's the one that will determine what is the proper punishment for it. You have no authority over that other than to decide, will I be in fellowship with the person? So I, I will say to you, if you're in fellowship with this person and it turns out he murders people, don't be in fellowship with him. But you can't condemn him for the violation of the commandment. You just can't have fellowship with him. And by the way, the authority for that comes later in the New Testament to obey the commandments of the Lord, to have fellowship with other people. In Acts 15, when we get there, Someday I'll teach you all about that. That's the authority we exercise. We determine who we can be in fellowship with or not. Uh, 
from it, from the reasons uh, for it. Now, one other thing I want to share with you is in Psalms 29, there is a specific psalm that talks about the voice of God and um, where God spoke from the mountain, blew a shofar, warned everybody, told everybody to stay off the mountain, and then he spoke, and it was a very loud voice. Well, actually, in Psalms 29, it describes what the voice of God sounds like. One of the things that says the voice of God, and this is what they heard, was that there were rocks on the mountain that split. That's the reason why I told them, don't come up on the mountain, because the ground is going to be unstable. I'm going to be splitting rocks. If I'm splitting rocks, what do you think will happen to you? What do you think happens when an avalanche of rocks falls down off the mountain? It'll hurt you. Don't even approach the mountain. Stay clear of the mountain. It says he splits rocks. It says that when he hits a tree, that he shatters the tree. The shock wave on the tree shatters the bark, the trunk, the branches, shatters the tree, blows it to bits. Can you imagine standing beside a tree and all of a sudden God speaks and the tree that was just standing right beside you just explodes? Would that be a little bit frightening to you? It says the sound of the voice of God causes animals to calve. Pregnant animals give birth instantly. Boom, pop a kid. I don't know if there was any pregnant ladies there that day. But that might have been a very interesting experience, you know, for them. The bottom line is that um, they said they could see the ripples going through the wilderness. As the syllables of God speak move through the wilderness, you could see the ground shaking and things being moved by it as the speed of sound moved by them. Um, when I was in the Navy, I want to share this one anecdotal story which gave me a new perspective on this passage of Scripture. I was a carrier sailor, and I used to work um, on F-4 uh, jet fighters. And we happened to be in Manila Bay uh, in the Philippines giving a firepower Navy show to the president of the Philippines. He had come out to the ship. We were demonstrating some of the aircraft and the things we do. They were dropping a few bombs for him. And, and so, well, one of the things they had on the schedule was they took an F-4 jet fighter. Here's the ship going along like this. And they brought a jet fighter off here to the beam, and they flew it just the height over the top of the deck. It was just about 100 feet up. And it flies real fast right past it. And as it gets to the ship, he turned it on its tail and goes straight up. And, of course, he's flying. He's lit the afterburners. So he's got fire which is about two-thirds of the length of the airplane flying out of the back of the exhaust. It's like a blowtorch, and he's flying very fast, and he tips it on the tail, and he goes straight up. And uh, so I knew they were going to do this, and so I said, hey, man, I said to a friend of mine, this is cool. Let's get our cameras. Let's get up there on the bow, and let's take some pictures of the F-4 doing the flyby, you know, the airplane we work on. And we'll have the pictures of him flying right at us. And then we'll take pictures along the way. So we get up there. Man, we're waiting. You know, we're excited. I remember. And I saw it. There it is. It's off in the distance. It's coming right at us. 
the exhaust is burning. I can tell the afterburners are lit and everything is coming right at us. And it's, I mean, we're standing on deck and it looks like it's right straight at us. It's coming right straight at us. Well, as it approached, there was then, I guess, some kind of common sense or some kind of deep wisdom said, Monty, I don't think this is such a great idea. Because that airplane is traveling almost at the speed of sound. And sure enough, it flew and immediately turned its tail um, and went straight up. And I'm standing on deck, and the shock wave off this airplane hit me. Almost took me off my feet. I mean, I, I had to steady myself. And I felt the flesh of my face trying to be ripped off of my skull. That's what one syllable would have sounded like when God spoke. One syllable would have done that to you. Just about take you off your feet and just feel like it's going to rip your flesh off of you. Um, it was a frightening experience. I have a whole new respect for an F-4 jet fighter. And I have a whole new respect for when God speaks from Mount Sinai. And uh, it says they were full of fear and trembling. I know what that feeling is like. And I, that's what I would encourage all of you. When it comes to listening to God's commandments, I think of all the commandments that we should listen to, we should listen most closely to the ones that he spoke out of his own mouth. Now, the others that come by way of Moses and, and the others, that, that those are important. I'm not saying they aren't. But I think we should be giving particular attention to the ones that come out of his mouth, that we should obey them. All right. Shabbat shalom to all of you. And I trust that you will make the decision to obey the Lord and learn his commandments. Shalom. Thank you for joining us. This broadcast has been made possible by the Lord and by the generous donations of brethren like you. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom.